Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3-9 to nine scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at RitonOptics.com. That's Riton, R-I-T-O-N, Optics.com. Hunt, 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 Howdy and welcome to the Where to Hunt podcast, the podcast that connects public land hunting enthusiasts. Today is July 30th, 2019. I'm your host, Eric Clark. I've only had one glass of scotch, maybe two, and a whole bunch of backwoods grind coffee. So if I'm talking fast, that's why. Um, Hardly why. I think I talk fast all of the time. Nonetheless, welcome back to another great episode. Um, Today we bring on guest... I'm going to butcher his last name for the second time. So, Zach, I'm really sorry. It's Zach Hoheisel. I think I got it right that time. And he's with Growing Wild. He's got a great YouTube page. And you can check out his other social channels on Facebook and also on Instagram. I think that's where most folks are these days. And that's where I'm spending a lot of time. Um, In any event, quick shout out to Backwoods Grind Coffee. Backwoods Grind Coffee is uh, what gives me the energy to do this show, quite frankly, um, I've have I've had two glasses of their coffee today or two mugs worth. One this morning and one for the podcast to keep me going late into the night so I can produce this show and get it out to y'all's ears. So if you want a discount on Backwoods Grind Coffee, head on over to backwoodsgrind.com and enter in code W the number 2 the letter H podcast and you're going to get yourself 10% off. Try one of their blends, let us know what you think, let them know what you think, give them a review, give me a review. Everybody give uh, give some reviews. Um, happy to hear what y'all think about that stuff. It is freshly roasted. Um, it's fast delivery. You get it very quick. And when they do the roasting, they grind it up upon the order. And you get to pick when you actually go to the order screen if you want it full bean, if you want it ground, uh, coarse, or fine, based on how you're going to consume that coffee. So... I think they even give recommendations, like if you're going to be using a French press, do it this way. If you're going to be using a coffee machine, do it that way. So when it arrives, the aroma is incredible. Uh, It's one of my favorite things. So in any event, go give them a try. I appreciate it. All that being said, let's go ahead and get into this show. I'll bring on our guest. And uh, today we're talking about kind of uh, how you prep for the season and what that looks like you know, asking for permission to hunt different properties. There's some really good nuggets with that. Uh, and then we kind of dive into a couple different topics and how to balance family and hunting and how do we deal with all the things that we have going on. Everyone's got their own shit going on that's important to them. And so it's interesting to hear another person's perspective on how they manage all of that and what it looks like. So would be interested to hear some of your comments too. You know, if you uh, go to the anchor version of this podcast, you can submit comments through uh, your phone just by doing like a voice recording, like you're making a call to someone. And I would be happy to put that on the next week's show if you'd like. Otherwise, uh, this is a live listener call-in. No calls on today's episode. That's okay. 
can have a very focused conversation without calls, but uh, certainly welcome those calls to come in as we get rolling. Um, one last announcement. We'll be doing rut radio. Um, I know there's others. I know that there are others that do that. I think what we're going to do is a bit different. So every Tuesday when I go live, right, um, with the show on Facebook, YouTube, and now Twitter also, hopefully eventually Instagram, but we go live at seven. What I'm going to do every Tuesday going forward into September, so in about one month from now, what we're going to do is go live at six o'clock and collect calls or take calls from folks around the country and get a kind of a finger on the pulse of what's going on with rut activity and build that into the season and bake that into each episode. So um, spread that word if you can. Be mindful of it. Pay attention to September at six o'clock. We're going to take calls for rut radio and that's all it is. You're going to call and tell us uh, you know, what you're seeing, where you're seeing it, what type of activity. And then that's it. We'll drop you off and we'll take the next and take the next and take the next and take the next. And that will live on the Facebook um, W2H rut radio group page that exists through the Facebook channel from where to hunt. So, um, okay. I'm talking real fast. I'm covering a lot of ground. I'll bring our guest on. I hope y'all enjoy. I'm going to go ahead and introduce our, introduce our guest. Uh, I'm going to try really hard. I know Zach that I tried to not mess up your name, but guest Zach who, nope, dude, I'm totally going to do it. Who Heisel? Nope. That's not right. Oh, oh Heisel. Almost got it. Oh Heisel. I told you that was <laughs> I'm so bad. Like my brain just says, Nope, I can't I can't. I don't know why. But you're with Growing Wild T V. Thanks for being on the show today, man. Welcome, welcome to the show. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No problem. I've had it easy. Like the last ten guests have all had like really easy last names like Smith or something, you know, and it's been a while since I've had a curveball like yours. I was like looking at it and going, Oh no, oh no. But um well, how you doing, man? How's your uh, how's your week going so far? I'm doing great. Just uh, plugging away, um, working during the day, and you know now I'm happy to be talking hunting with some people. I I always like an excuse to talk about anything outdoor related. That's for sure. Rock on, dude! Absolutely, I'm right there with you, which is probably why I do this show. Um, well, let's have you tell the audience a little bit about you, who you are. How would you sum it up? Who are you? Well, I'm Zach Kohlheisel. I am a father of two. Um, I work with uh, camera gear and, and stuff like that all day on social media, but that all came from the fact that um, I, I grew up just loving the outdoors. And when I was, I don't know, maybe 10, 12 years old, um, probably like most kids uh, like us, I wanted to get a job in the hunting industry. And the only thing I could think of was having a TV show. Um and now a lot of things have changed, but when I was younger, I started picking up a camera and messing around with it, learning how to film my hunts and do some photography and stuff like that. And I kind of ran with it. And um, now it's it's my, my job, even though my, my nine to five job isn't necessarily um, in the outdoor industry, but uh, I try to do as much as I can with my uh, company Growing Wild that I started a little while ago. And I'm just, I'm having a blast, man having a blast. I'm glad that that's what you said because too often we get a little too tangled up in this stuff and it ends up at some point not being too fun and suddenly having a blast becomes something that you're like, wait, why did I get into this? And to make that kind of the point and make sure that that's what's actually happening is a pretty big deal. Because um, it's a lot of work to do stuff like this on the side in addition to, right? It'd be like the equivalent of a mechanic turning wrenches all day 
and then getting home and turning more wrenches, right? So you really got to love it to to be that way. Um, because you're doing the stuff yeah. for a living, right? Yeah, for sure. So that is that's a great point you have. Um, a lot of times when I was a little bit younger, I actually got discouraged by some people about you know if you try to turn a a passion into a job, it just ends up being a job instead of a passion. And um, I actually did get a little bit burned out. Maybe my was maybe my sophomore year of college. Um, I was actually working with a doing another kind of similar outdoor media company with a high school buddy of mine and we were having tons of fun I learned a bunch but it got to be to this point where I felt just tons of pressure like oh man I got this show I gotta you know prove myself and and I go out and have awesome hunts but I wouldn't you know kill a big buck or something and I'd feel disappointed and my dad kind of called me out one night and said dude I think you've uh I think you've kind of lost your way a little bit you're doing this for the wrong reason so I stepped away for a year, um, and I really missed the camera side of things. I love, you know, recording my hunts and being able to go back and watch everything. So that's why I started Growing Wild, because I wanted it to be a little bit different, different of a show. It's not, you know, even, it's certainly not all about the kill, but it's it's also not even about the hunts. It's about family, friends, outdoors, having a good time, and um, just loving the lifestyle we have. And then I've also been lucky to, I've just recently got a job where I get to mess around with camera gear and, you know, edit pictures and videos all day as well. And it hasn't, you know, I'm having a fun time doing it. It hasn't turned into just a job yet. I love going into work every day. I love what I do. So um, I'm pretty blessed. That's super cool, man. It sounds like you have a real sense of like awareness around the fact that that is a lucky and good thing. I wouldn't say lucky. That's not probably not the right word. I'm sure you've worked hard to get to where you're at. I don't mean it that way, but, um, yeah, man, you have to take a second to appreciate kind of what your surroundings look like. That's good that you have that awareness. Yeah, man, I and I know because I've I've had jobs that I don't like in the past, or I've been, you know, I've been at worse places. So I'm I've I try my best. It's you know everyone gets down every once in a while, but I try to, you know, do my best to realize how lucky I am. I got a good job, a, a beautiful family, um, and uh, when that beautiful family lets me get away for a little bit, I get to enjoy the great outdoors here in Wisconsin. So, yeah, hell yeah, man. And you're so so you are from Wisconsin. Yep, I'm from the kind of the Fox Cities Appleton area. Rock on, that's a great area, man. That's, that's a good good area to be doing stuff outside for sure. And so, do you hunt public land or private land up there? So I do a little bit of both. Um, I guess there's there's two ways I really look at hunting. I'm I'm really lucky that we have a family cabin um kind of near the Tigerton Wittenberg area. Um we just have a small 60 acre piece, but it's really the right 60. It's in a great location. Um and every year we we manage to usually kill a couple good bucks off of there and we certainly have a whole bunch of them running around. So I've fallen in love with the private land side of things of, you know, doing food plots, running trail cameras, really managing the land um, and having yep. a hand in that. But I also certainly love there's something super special about the public land thing where maybe you walk into a piece and you've never been there before and, you know, kind of the mystery of it. And um, rather than, you know, manipulating the land to fit your hunt, you have to go in there and watch these deer do or learn how these deer use the land naturally uh, because you're not allowed to do anything like that. And I've, I've really fallen in love with um you know, both of those sides of the hunt. Two totally different components, two different ways of hunting. Respect each. I tend to talk about public land hunting because that's all I know because I don't hunt private. But uh, 
I've said out loud plenty of times, if I had the chance, I'd be all over it, you know, and I think I might actually this year, a buddy of mine might let me onto his property. We'll see. Um, I don't know how good it'll be, but the thought of it makes me feel kind of excited. Like I might have at least one other place I could go in addition to all the other public spots, but I don't, I don't do any, I won't be doing any land management or food plots or anything. Maybe not out of the gate anyways. We'll see what he lets me get away with. Yeah, they're both they both definitely give a different aspect of the hunt. Like I said, I, I like a little bit of a little bit of both. Um you know, I don't get in college I hunted a ton of public land. Um I I, I went I probably hunted more than I went to school in college, but um it's it's a little <laughs> bit different now. It's a little bit different now with kids and stuff. You know, I I kinda I have a very limited amount of time so um when I do get away I usually as far as deer hunting goes, I tend to spend that little bit of time um, up at the cabin, you know, where I've worked so hard. And then, um, on those, you know, when I just get one day, I tend to go to public land and try to kill some ducks or, or something like that. Yeah. That's fun stuff, dude. Good deal. Well, let's, um, maybe talk. So I, well, I'll back up one more time before I dive head first into this. What, um, are you bow gun, both doesn't matter. Do you like whitetail Turkey? What's, uh, I don't know. What, what do you seem to, to favor the most? Um, I mean, I like a good mix of everything. If there's an opportunity to get outside, I try to take it. I I would say the thing I've done most in my life and that I'm most passionate about is uh, bow hunting whitetails. Um, but I do turkey hunt in the spring. I do pick up a rifle for the nine-day gun season. In the past, that has been, you know, in Wisconsin, it's like a holiday. School's closed sometimes, and it's it's just crazy here. So we go – I like to go up to the cabin for the camaraderie. we got a good group of guys that goes up. Nice. hangs out in our cabin in the middle of the woods and you know we go out there and um i prefer to go with my bow but don't get me wrong if something steps out when i got a gun in my hand i love venison and um it, it doesn't matter to me yeah that's awesome dude it's interesting you get so many different types of hunters that prefer to do things certain ways i just like hearing the differences in how people approach things um to me that's I don't part of why I like podcasting so much. It's just there's there's rooms for so many different ways of doing things. You know, um, what I was hoping we could talk about today is maybe how you prep for bow season. You know, are there any kind of particular or ritualistic, maybe not ritualistic in a ritualistic kind of way, but, you know, things that you do that you can point to that, you know, hey, this is what I do to get ready for the season that, you know, listeners can really kind of value from what what there may be take away from some of the things that you do yeah so on the on the private land side of things during the summer um i really love you know i run my trail cameras and i do a lot of food plotting as well i've just seen such a benefit from that um in the past and it's it's really rewarding i mean when you put so much time and effort into something and you get to watch it grow and turn into something that these you know deer love to come into it's it's a super rewarding progress so in the summertime, whenever I can get away, I'm normally up at my cabin. Um, I'll usually do a little bit of trout fishing because we got a nice trout stream that runs through our land and a couple that are close by. Um, and then, um, you know, we have our traditional stands. We've been on that 60 acres for 20 years. My dad's had the place. So um, we kind of know the best areas and we're constantly, things change, you know, with with uh, different, you know, crop rotations and, and stuff like that. But I'm, you know, trimming stands out, hanging new stands, and then working really, really hard on the food plots. I got all my food plots in, and now I'm just praying for rain and hoping that they all, you know, grow into the best thing they can be. Um, and then 
you know, I'll check my trail cameras every couple of weeks, but now it's kind of, I still got to go trim a bunch of stands out, especially with that crazy windstorm we had. I'm sure our woods is a mess. I was actually oh, up yeah. at the cabin when that, yeah, I was up at the cabin when that came through and um, we had, I was planning on trimming stands all day, but I ended up having to chainsaw um, all Saturday just to get out. We had like eight or nine huge trees that fell over the driveway. So we worked all day just to get out rather than putting in, you know, time trimming, trimming stands out. So that's still left on the, on the list for this year. But after that, it's pretty much letting the, you know, the woods and everything kind of calm down, let the trail cameras run, and we'll see if we got any, you know, target bucks to go after this year. Good deal, man. It's a lot of work. You know, I, I've heard that, and I don't, I say things like I've heard because I don't have the facts, but I've heard things like, you know, when a, a storm like that blows through and it gets all these trees knocked down, um, deer love it. Like it's, it does so much for the forest to come back to life because of all the browse, all the things that kind of get brought down to the, you know, the floor level of the, of the forest. Do you think that might have a, um, an advantage as the season kind of comes into swing here for you based on what you've seen or? Yeah, it's it's interesting you say that because at first I was bummed because we had tons of trees down. Um, and I was like, man, the woods are just going to be a mess. And all of our lanes, because we've had these stands and, you know, a lot of the same places, we got our, our lanes pretty well cut. And it's just kind of going in and snipping a few limbs that may have grown into the lanes and whatnot. So now there's probably trees blown down in those lanes. But a lot of these trees were blown over but are still connected to the root system. So there's these, you know, the tops of these trees are hanging on the floor and these leaves are still getting enough nutrients to, you know, produce leaves. So all of oh, those wow. are, you know, food sources for deer, but it's just, it's, and it, you know, so that's, I guess, a benefit. And it, it creates some, you know, thick and nasty. I'm sure that there'll be some new bedding areas or, you know, depending on where these trees fell. So I think that could be a positive as well, but you know, there's, it all depends on how you look at it, man. There's the woods might be a mess and it might be harder to get into some stands or I might have to do a little bit of work clearing new lanes, but I agree with you. I think that, you know, if a tree falls over, they have uh they'll eat those leaves probably. And then, you know, that lets a little bit of sunlight into the, to the floor to create some new browse as well. Yeah, dude, it'll make it really hard to fling an arrow through all those branches and things like that. And certainly it's going to be difficult seeing anything early season, but, um, ha- having a positive outlook or always trying to take a positive approach to things. I I'm probably one of the annoying people in my group of friends and family where they're like, can you just acknowledge what I said and not say positive things for a second? <laughs> you know, like, well, <laughs> I don't know. I know I can't. That's how I am. Um, that's yeah. exciting. So that gives you a way to kind of mix things up, look into the next season. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm real excited to, to check my cameras. Um, there's a couple good deer that, you know, as of, as of right now, I, I haven't seen them yet this year, but, um, I don't believe they got killed. Um, we're pretty close with all our neighbors. So if they made it, there should be a couple of pretty good ones to chase this year. Oh yeah, man. So what else are you doing to prep? I mean, I know it sounds like you were going to go out and do some things and then you kind of got, I don't know, d- distracted, right? Unfortunately, so you had to deal with that other thing. Um, short of that, what are some traditional things that you think that you tend to do? I mean, there's certain things that I know that I do and Right now, it's a mental game of mosquitoes. I was in, yeah. in my living room the other night, and I posted something on Instagram. There was like a thousand mosquitoes right outside the window, and I was like, oh, that's right. This is what I hate about the early season. Like, how can I deal with this better, you know? And that's where my mind is right now. That's about as far as I've gotten. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like I said, I mean, 
as far as at the cabin, the last thing left to do is go in, trim those lanes, and then let the woods quiet down. Um, one of my favorite favorite hunts of the year um, is that opening day of archery season afternoon hunt, just because um, I feel like these bucks are really susceptible to coming out into a food plot in daylight because they're just used to that summer pattern. People haven't been hunting them for a while. Um, I actually just uh, two days ago, uploaded a video from something I'm doing right now with Growing Wild is I have all this footage from like the last six years of hunting. Um, so I'm kind of revisiting some old stories and just explaining some of my favorite hunts. And just two days ago, I uploaded a video of my 2016 archery buck kill. And the story starts with opening day, I was hunting over one of my food plots. And I had a gorgeous 140, 145-inch 10-pointer step out into my food plot right at last light. And um, so because I'm recording all my hunts, I have my camera on a tree arm. And uh, I forgot to lock the fluid head in place. So I came to full draw on this deer. And I went back to look at my camera to make sure that it was in frame. And it was just slowly tipping toward the sky. So I let down, got the camera back on the deer, locked it into place, make sure everything was in focus, and I came to full draw again. And just because of all the commotion, um, I rushed a shot, and I ended up missing that deer, which would have been by far my biggest my biggest buck. Um, and so that's where the story started. Luckily, later on in the season, I was able to get it done on a on another buck. But um, that opening day, opening day afternoon hunt is always fun for me. The last, I don't know, man, four four years or so in a row that I've been doing food plots on opening night, I've seen shooter bucks. I just haven't gotten a shot off or a successful shot off on one yet. I watched part of that story because I was trying to kind of dig into some of your content. Um, I skimmed through it because I'm doing a million things, right? But now that you're talking about it, I feel compelled to go back and watch it the, the whole way through. Yeah. Um, that's one of the reasons I talked about this with, I think, Garrett Benner, the modern assassin, who was on a few episodes ago, um, that like recording my hunts is just something I haven't really been willing to do. And that's probably one of the biggest reasons right there is I already am Polish enough. Um, my mom's side is Rakowski, right? So like it's Clark, you'd never know. Um <laughs> and, and so for me, I always do things like the really hard way and I learn everything the hard way. And um, that's just one other element or layer of things that I don't think that I could handle well enough. I have a hard enough time getting a deer without that going on. So my hat's off to you for trying to capture that stuff. And it sounds like um, it's not easy. Yeah. Yeah. I listened to that episode with Garrett. It was a great episode, but he's right, man. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes it sucks. Everything you're carrying more gear into the woods. It takes longer to set up. And I can't tell you how many mornings I've thought, oh man, I think I'm just going to go out and hunt without the camera because it'd be easier. But at the end of the day, um, even if I wasn't doing this growing wild thing, I would probably still do it. Cause one of my favorite things is, I mean, how many times have you been out on a hunt and had a great hunt? And when you get back to, you know, the, your buddies and, and try to explain what you saw, you're like, you know, when that deer came over that ridge and they're like this ridge and it's the wrong one. And you're trying to explain everything. My favorite thing is just popping in the SD card and showing everyone everything and being able to, you know, when I'm 50 years old, I'll be able to go back and watch my first deer kill with a bow. And um, I'm super excited about that. And I'm excited that, you know, I get to share it with my family. Um, as my son grows up, 
granted if he ever lets me record him, he always turns into a goofball when I bring the camera out. But I'll, I'll <laughs> you just point at me like, oh, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's great. I'll hopefully be able to, you boy, know. Right? Oh, yep, yep. So hopefully, you know, I'll be able to capture his first turkey hunt and his first. I've already got him. He walked, did a walk along on a pheasant hunt with us and. Um, you know, I, I, every time I point the camera at him, he always kind of blows me off and does usually sticks his tongue out and walks the other way, but hopefully he'll, you know, allow me to film him. And that'll just be so fun, you know, to 20 years from now, go back and watch some of these hunts. Oh, dude, for sure. Like, so we were talking offline about, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk and he always talks about how cool it would be if, you know, I today could have watched my grandparents or my great grandparents. And part of this podcasting thing for me, it's really interesting that if my kids ever care to, I'm sure they'll think I'm the nerdiest person in the world and they think I'm stupid and old. Um, but if they wanted to, they could go back and hear all of these different shows that I've done with different people and get a sense for who I am. Right. And so like even my grandkids, they could go learn about, you know, Grandpa Clark or whatever the heck. And I think that's that's kind of fascinating. And it goes both ways. Right. So if you record him now at seven, when he's 20, he's going to look back and like, man, I goofball, you know, and that's. It's really yeah. cool that you're doing what you're doing that way. And I think you're doing it for some very interesting reasons. I know we're deviating off of the, the prep for bow hunting a little bit, but, you know, when you have kids, it's a bit different. There's more that goes into it. It's not just about you, you know, getting them prepared to have and setting them up for success so they're warm, they're comfortable, they're not going to hate their lives, right? Because their attention spans, especially today, is way, way low. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. And there, there is... You know, I've, I'm starting to hunt for different reasons. And, um, you know, my son right now, he can kind of, he could take or leave hunting. He's a, he's a lot different than me. My dad used to, I mean, I'd beg my dad to take me to the woods and I never realized how lucky I was that he, anytime I asked pretty much, he would let me go. Um, and now that I'm, you know, trying to tote along, I've been trying to take him since he was five. I realized just how much harder and difficult it is to bring a kid along with you. And I, I always took that for granted. I never realized, you know, the effort and the sacrifices he made to introduce me to this, but it was always just in my blood and I loved it. And Jaden's not quite like that yet. He's, um, you know, sometimes he's excited about it and into it. And other times he says, no, I, I don't want anything to do with it. So I got a, I, I'm still choosing between whether or not I kind of let him pick his path because there's been a couple times where, you know, I went out shed hunting and I, I basically forced him to go and he threw a fit. But then when he was done, he, he said he had a blast. So I never know whether to, you know, kind of let him be a kid and pick his own things or if I should just make him do it because, you know, sometimes seven-year-olds have bad attitudes about everything. Yeah, that is a, I'll have to cross that bridge when I get there. That is a tricky one. You know, it's like kids don't want to do a lot of things. Then we try to take them away from it. They're like, no, 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 I don't want to go. It's like, what? You, you didn't want to come either. So, okay. That's a, that is a tough one. Um, I'm just trying to think, okay, well, let's, let's progress here and think about, um, are you shooting your bow frequently? Are you doing it with your broadheads on? Are you shooting it like from a stand, from sitting, from standing? Like, are you doing anything to mimic how you would be in the woods? Are you testing out tree stands, sticks, climbing gear, safety equipment, that kind of stuff? Or do you kind of wait on that? I know we're early, right? We're like just about to August. And so I feel like August 1 to September 1 is a time when people start to go, okay, let's start to pull up my gear and see what the heck I have going on from last season, right? Yeah, man, I'm not, I'm going to be the biggest hypocrite in the world right now. Um, I think if you're, you know, whether we like to admit it or not, going into the woods with a weapon and 
you know, choosing to fling an arrow and take a living animal's life is a pretty serious decision. So I think if, if we're going to do this, um, you know, we should take it seriously and be practicing as much as we can so that we're as efficient as we can in the woods. But I'm not going to lie to you, man. I, I know we talked beforehand. I, we just had a baby four months ago. I have yep. been slacking. Yeah, I've been slacking more than I ever have. I've barely been shooting. I certainly haven't been crawling up in a tree stand like I should. Um, <laughs> I, I normally like to do that, but I've this is kind of a – I feel like, you know, I just – got a kick in the balls there because I usually harp on people who don't practice enough and now I'm now I'm feeling like a hypocrite so I'm definitely going to start shooting more and then as far as you know like you said practicing with sticks and stuff like that um, one thing that I want to get more into is this mobile type of hunting um, I don't have a mobile setup right now like a like a um, tree sling or or what it was called a tree saddle the saddle um, yeah yeah, I've I've been debating between that or kind of like one of those lone wolf systems. Um, I don't have one yet. I really want to get one because even on, you know, private land, sometimes, you know, when I'm at my cabin and I'm sitting in a pinch point, well, that action might be 50 yards away and um, I'm kind of limited right now. So that's something I would like to do. And then I also, my wife is looking to get a little bit into hunting. So um, I try to get some permission permission that's a little bit closer to home and it's something where I would like to get more into that mobile style. So that's, that's a totally, you know, would be a totally new thing for me. I don't just time and money, man. Uh, there's never enough of either of it. I don't know how much I'll be able to put into that this year, but that's one of my goals for the next couple of years is to get better at the mobile type of hunting so that I have more options. And if, you know, if I have a random Thursday night where I can get out with my wife, I want to be able to, you know, both of us put our stands on our back and head into the woods. So that's that's a goal, like a long-term goal for the next couple of years, but um, I'll try to slowly build on that this season. Well, that Lone Wolf custom gear one, the new one, you could put your kid right on that thing as it sits on your back. Yeah, yeah I've seen that. That'd be, that'd be I pretty mean, cool. You know. Tim and Kurt, Cody, Cody and Kurt Guy are at the shoot carrying each other around. Well, I think it was actually uh, Cody carrying Kurt. I don't know that it could have gone the yeah. other way, and I don't know if Kurt's still in here or not. But I'm not ripping on you too much, Kurt. But I'm just saying, you know, that's uh, it's funny. Yeah, it's interesting. They, they... Look, oh, go ahead. No, no, man, go ahead. I was just gonna say, like, we should we should take a second and and chat about what it's like. And I just like kind of pulling into different veins of thought, you know, as we kind of navigate the topic as a whole, but, you know, being a parent and, and hunting, I know there's only a certain percentage of us, right? Like they were all young once and could do what I call it. OFP own fucking program. Just do whatever the hell you want. Um, which is what my two year old does. She is OFP. <laughs> it's funny how that works out, but because she is OFP, I can't be. And, um, you know, you got to be with your family. You got to make sure that you're not, um, you know, putting too much time in the woods, it's a balancing act. And on top of that, you have work, right? And this other stuff we call our passion um, that we're doing on the side. And it's tough to balance all that, man, and to make time. So, like, you have to make the time that you do have impactful. Um, and so I guess maybe that's probably what I was hoping to get out of today's show in general is just we talk about prepping for hunting season what are the most critical and most important, important things short of shooting your bow all year round and practicing? Um, I guess I'm not even sure, you know, because how do you prioritize all of the things that have to go into a season? Yeah, no, I totally know what you mean. Um, it's, 
everything changes. <laughs> we again we talked a little bit before the show and um so when I uh married my wife I gained a my son, he was five years old when we got married. Um and like I told you, I was a single college dude that was doing whatever I want, um, hunting. I was blowing money down in Illinois. I had a lease down in <laughs> Illinois and was hunting down there. Um I was I was probably hunting five to six days a week and that drastically changes because it, it changes a lot when a, you know, a wife comes into your life, but it changes even more when there's kids in the picture. So what I've been doing now is like I said, when I, when I go out, I try to make it count. So that opening afternoon said, I don't care if it's a hundred degrees, I'll be out there with a thermosel um, doing that. And then pretty much my strategy is, unless there's a huge cold front or a real good reason to try to take a day off um, and make it up to the cabin, I stay at home and let the woods sit and wait till November and kind of cash in all my brownie points with the wife. And I head up to the cabin during the rut. Um, and, And that's kind of my strategy for bow hunting, but obviously I can't just sit around for a month or two and not do anything. So I, um, you know, on those lesser days or days where I have free time, I, uh, I'll i go, you know, chase deer on public land closer to my house, you know, if I get a free afternoon or a morning. And then something I've gotten more and more into is um, waterfall hunting. It's when I'm not, when I'm letting the cabin rest and kind of waiting for the rut, um, I'll go out and chase ducks or, or geese and um, try to, you know, scratch that itch that way. And then, um, you know, my the way my land is set up, if you looked at an aerial map, there's like, an 800 acre block of timber to the north and an 800 block of timber to the south. And then there's a skinny 60 acre sliver of timber along a Creek in between the two. So if I sit in, in these traditional pinch points all day for a couple of days in the row, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have an encounter. It's just making it count. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good way to make it count, dude. It's good that you can understand kind of where the movement's going to be too. I'm, I think right now I'm struggling with, I don't know where I'm going to hunt. Last year was pretty clear because I had access to a conservancy property. I got drawn through um, like a drawing, right? And it was, it made a whole lot of sense. And this year, um, pending one of those drawings, I'm not entirely sure where I'm going to hunt. I have a lot of different places, you know, that I could potentially go. And it's some of the same old, same old, but, you know, trying to take what I've learned on a podcast um, by talking to, you know, almost 90 people now or whatever and trying to figure out what can I apply to some of the other properties that I've hunted when I was younger and go back and revisit some things, you know? Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a great thing about public man is that, you know, public land, anyone can go out there and hunt, but I, how, how old did you say your daughter was again? She's going to be two in uh, September. All right. So this is what you're going to have to do. I did it. It works like a charm. You got to take, go out and do some aerial scouting and pick a couple properties actually pick a bunch pick 20 properties that you think you'd like to hunt go out for a saturday with your daughter walk up to the door with your daughter in a stroller or holding her or something (laughs) knock on the door and ask for permission i did that with my son Jaden. i knocked on eight doors and six of them said yes that has got to be the biggest nugget to come out of any podcast i've ever done so anybody watching now on the live show and then anybody listening, when it's out in podcast land, pay attention, rewind, hit the 15-second backwards button, and let's scrub that back again and state, you can use your baby or toddler to your advantage or kid 
to go knock on doors to get permission. You said you knock on yeah, eight doors and get six. That's an eighty yep, percent rate of success, it, is it not? Yeah, that's. It was, I'm bad at math, I could so not maybe not. But that's I incredible. And if you need if you need a borrow kid, find one. I'll loan you mine for the day, but you got to <laughs> do it. So my buddy Joel is watching. He just said, "Hell yeah, Joel! You got two beautiful daughters. I know. I know what you're gonna be doing this weekend." And then, um, real quick, Joel asked a question. So he uh, just sent me a text and said, "Can you ask Zach if he's got any weird traditions or which or rituals before hunting?" And so what he's getting at our hunt camp, I think the eight or nine of us that go, we've discovered that when we wear vests, we get deer. And so now we all wear vests. It's the dumbest thing. But if we don't have a vest on, someone's going to ruin the hunt for the rest of us. Um, I'm not too, I used to be real superstitious. I'm not that superstitious anymore. Um, so I don't have any kind of silly superstitions like that or, or things I got. Or any do, goofy fun always... things that your group does or, you know, like, I don't know. Well, I guess it's less superstitious we, than it is, like, a reason to blame someone for our problem in a funny way. Yeah, I guess for deer camp, we got a couple things like that. We have some, like, little – we play cribbage, and we got a couple little things where, you know, if you if you cut a certain card or if you get knives, oh, nice. you know, you're you're guaranteed a big buck or something like that. But um, I one thing I do do before every single hunt you talked about, I got a little bit of Polish in me as well, so – um. I uh I I make a list and I make sure I have everything out because I can't tell you how many times I've got up in my stand and realized I forgot the camera I forgot my quiver I forgot my release so um it's it's less superstition now and just making sure that I don't you know screw myself over and get out in the woods and forget something. Yep. Boy, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get you know shit for this one, but I forgot my gun in the woods on the way out one night. You know, I got a buck and then you know got back to the motel that we we're staying at the time. It was a little shitty motel in Prairie du Chien, and grabbed my gun case. I'm like, oh, this feels pretty light. And the year prior, my dad had done the same thing, and I was like, shit, you got to be kidding me because we gave him so much garbage for that, and then I did it, and I was like, oh no. And so of course went back to the woods and I found exactly where I you know it was where it was. Oh man, but that was a really stupid thing. Yeah, I can't say I've done that, but there's been uh, numerous times where I forgot the quiver because I normally take it off after, like, if I go out for a morning hunt and um, I go back to the cabin, I'll take my quiver off, shoot my bow, and then I'm kind of notorious for uh, leaving the quiver on the table and heading out to the woods for the afternoon hunt. I forgot my quiver once, so I've been there. I've done that. Um, I forgot my release once, been there, done that. So maybe I should take a, a page out of your playbook and just write some shit down to you and have an actual list that I check. It's unbelievable the things yeah. you can forget. Oh, yeah. So maybe yeah. for, so for two, the – oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I mean, I'm 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 not the sharpest bull in the bull drawer, but if you uh, take two things away from me, it's knock on doors with little kids and make a list. That's pretty good, dude. I can live with both of those. And those are both really easily uh, executed on, on this end. I'm going to look at a map tonight and be like, all right, this is where we're going. Uh, I'll just tell my wife, I'm taking our daughter, and I'll be back in a couple hours. What are you doing? Knocking on yeah. people's doors. What? Yeah. Don't worry about it. I got I to gotta figure it out. I got the plan. I got it written down. <laughs> I have my list. <laughs> That's perfect. Yep. I mean, even with, you could get real creepy and just go on X on them too and look up their last name and then stock them on Facebook and figure out what they like and get real weird. 
And it's like, what the? <laughs> How did you know to bring me a signed Brewers jersey of, you know, so-and-so? I don't know. It's the weirdest thing. I found it on the way here. We call the cops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I've heard of, I've heard of people doing that. It's pretty crazy. The links that some people will go to. Well, a buddy of mine, he's back up north now. So he's from up north. He was down here while his wife went to college. And now they're back up north um, in some tiny town called Glenwood. And they, he, he would write hand, handwritten letters to people. He would do the same thing. He'd find the spots he'd want, and they'd send him a letter, send him a letter, send him a letter. And every letter was different and unique to that person. It was handwritten. And at least I think it was. It may have been computer type, but I'm pretty sure I remember him telling me that he would handwrite the letters. And he had some success with that. Like, and even some success would be considered like someone responded and still said no, but at least he got a response. Or they're like, well, that was a great idea, but no. <laughs> it's funny that people yeah. go to that trouble. You know? Yeah, the thing that everyone's got their different ways, and the thing I've found that works best is if you can be, you know, polite, but look almost like somewhat spontaneous, like, I feel like people can sometimes be taken back if you feel like, you know, that you've been creeping on them or doing, you know, you looked up their address and this and that, like, I try to play it like it was a spontaneous type of thing, and I just, I walk up, I, beautiful property, as, yeah, for sure, so, and I've had decent luck, the, the one, you know, kind of bummer is um, in this Appleton area, there's, you know, it's there, it's pretty, there's not a whole bunch of country around here. You can get out into some decent stuff, but this area of the state isn't really known for, you know, really, really big deer or anything like that. So I just, I more do it for fun. And honestly, I've gotten more and more into this waterfowl hunting thing. And there's, there's quite a few birds around here, but it's always nice, man. There's certainly, the more you can hunt, the more, the the better the more successful you be you, you know the more options you have it's it's just it's it's been so much fun knowing like all right I don't have to drive an hour and 15 minutes to my cabin if I get off of work early on a day I can go out and shoot some ducks or you know hit up one of these properties and try to you know you know stalk a deer or try to shoot one on the ground or something like that it's just the more options you have the better yeah no that's probably a lesson I think I learned maybe three or four years ago in doing all this where I started every year to add more properties, public land properties to my list of places that I could access. And that's changed how I do things quite a bit. And it's something that I'm proud of. Like I get really proud of, I hunted six properties this year. I hunted eight properties this year, right? And kind of building that up. And then the more of those I do, the bigger that book gets. Someone that's really good at this is Anthony Heller with Deervane. He is, I mean, like, super extremely organized about how he catalogs the properties that he's hunting and how he uses his trail cams and what he does with that information. Um, it's insane the level that he takes it to. I'm not even sure how he does it, but he's been on the show in the past and I've run into him a couple of times since then. And you know, he puts out really great content and how to deal with that stuff. I could take a page out of his playbook too. I mean, there's so many great people to learn from, but for me, having those options is, is a big deal. Um, I think hunting, a new property in the morning just isn't an option because you're not going to see where you're going. And that's, that's foolish. Right. Um, but if you can go sometime at night to a new property and then now you have that for a morning sit sometime based on what's going on. And so as the weather conditions and wind and everything else starts to evolve and change, if you have these different options, now you know your different access points versus different properties. And, you know, it, it builds, you know, as you start to do more stuff, you learn more and you can do more stuff. Yeah. And the other thing is, you know, so I got my, my cabin and that's where I spend the vast majority of my time bow hunting. But the cool thing about having other properties is 
if I want to go in and, you know, try to do some like ground hunting or, um, you know, get into the bedding areas and I blow deer out of there, I don't care. I'll just move on to the next one. Whereas, you know, if I went to my cabin and I blew some deer out, that's, that's a big deal. I only have that 60 acres. I'm limited to that 60 acres. And if that's all I have, if I mess a hunt up or if my target buck goes nocturnal or something, you know, it's super limiting. So the more options you have, the more time you can spend in the woods, ultimately the more successful you'll be. So you're kind of sitting on that. So I've heard the two, so I have a cousin that he's got, he hunts public land like a maniac and, um, you know, but then he's got his own private, you know, land that he's purchased and he's, you know, you know, done food plots and everything like that, but same, like he will hunt it maybe once or twice and he will wait and wait and wait and wait and wait until he knows it's rough from activity elsewhere and then go kill his hitless buck. Um, and so that's definitely a strategy that I've heard of from not only him, but others and obviously yourself too. So public land is great then if you have private land so you can still get your fix and have a, have your finger on the pulse of the season. So then you know when to hit your private property. Yeah, for sure. If I had private property, man, I'd be the dumbass going in there like every freaking day to the same damn spot because it'd be so comfortable. I'd be so happy to tell yeah. someone it's my own. <laughs> and they'd be like, no, yeah. you're doing it wrong. I know. I don't care. Yeah. It's mine. <laughs> that that was me. That was us for years, man. We just, every single weekend from September, you know, 15th to no, till gun season, we'd take every weekend off. We'd hunt morning and night no matter what. And it's like, it wasn't until about two or three years ago that we we're like, man, what are we doing? Like, we're in here every week leaving scent during warm days when deer aren't moving. We're only seeing, you know, doe. It's like we gotta we gotta hunt this smarter. We got this land. We can't blow it out. So, um, when we yeah. when we started hunting less, we ended up being more successful. We've had a lot of luck in the last probably five years. I've killed two decent ones with my bow. My dad is. We always joke about how he's got a golden horseshoe stuck up his ass because he, he's, you know, he, he bought the land, he pays the property taxes and he does all that, but he lets me go out there and hang all the stands and sweat my balls off planting food plots. And he's killed uh, three really good bucks now on opening day of bow season. And he's shot two other really good bucks in the last. So he missed one year where he missed. He's in on the, the opener year, of bow. So yeah, he's killed, he's killed three good bucks. Like he's killed a hundred forty-five inch twelve pointer, a hundred thirty-eight inch eight pointer, and then a hundred forty-one inch eight pointer, all on opening day of bow season. And then he also killed a beautiful um, nine pointer as well in the last five years with his bow. Um, and that's all from you know hunting less but being smarter. And then he's he's also gotten he killed a good one with a gun last year, and he killed another real big 160 11 pointer with his gun as well in one of those years too damn dude that's crazy i'm still trying to figure out how the hell i'd gut one on opening day because of the mosquitoes i don't know that i i'd have to call on my buddies and be like you guys i i don't know i need to blow torch the freaking earth around me to deal with this no man if you if you got your hands in the in a gut pile of a one a 150 you, you wouldn't be thinking about the mosquitoes See, I hope that that's the case, and I've not experienced that yet. So I think that would be it, right? That is the thing that puts me across that threshold where it doesn't matter. Um, one of the yeah. comments that just came in from Joel, what is Zach's stance on guys that do deer drives on public land? He says he can't stand it, but there's nothing he can do. Yeah, man, I'm in the same boat. That's kind of the love-hate thing with public land. It's I certainly get annoyed 
you know, if I'm hunting public land and someone walks by and I think they ruin my hunt, it's, it's annoying, but at the end of the day, you know, one of my biggest things is I want to see more people out there, you know, or I try to not be, not be, uh, I don't know, selfish because yeah. I, I, I'll normally throw a little fit, you know, in the moment, but at the end of the day, one of my biggest goals with growing my is to try to introduce more people to this lifestyle. So if people are out there, and they're taking advantage of public land just the same way I am. It's it's hard for me to get too upset because I'm just happy to make, you know, see those are, they bought tags that go back into conservation. Hopefully they'll introduce their family. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, we need more hunters, man. We're, we're a dying breed and it, it won't take long before this, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not a right. It's a privilege. And we need more people to understand that and um, get more people involved so that this lifestyle we love doesn't go away. I couldn't have said it better oh, myself. Yeah. Um, to Joel's point, go download the Where to Hunt app, and then and then you can try to all avoid everybody. Right? If everyone had that app, we could just solve that problem and stay the hell away from everybody. I'll leave that as my uh, plug for my own little app on, on the selfish plug section of this podcast, which I normally don't do. Yeah, but yes, Joel, but in that the perfect is world, extremely right? annoying. Yeah, that is extremely annoying. I, I'm there with you. It is interesting though, like. Certain, I mean, like you go, you go way, way up north to Nicolay and it's vast, vast, vast forest, right? And and so it's totally a different world up there versus down here. You get small plots. I can't tell you how many guys I've walked up on and I've heard a whistle from a tree stand or guys that have come up to me and I've scared the shit out of them because they didn't see me sitting there and like, oh, you know, I didn't see them. Like, yep. And so it can get crowded out there. But when you actually come face to face with some of these guys, it's nothing but smiles, man. Like no one's really being out there to be a douchebag. I don't think like if they are, they're, they're the bad eggs, right? And they're the 1% or less than the 1%. But by and large, you run into that other guy or that other hunter or gal, whatever. And, um, you're going to talk to him, right? Like the guy that I think I scared the crap out of once cause he didn't see me. He was trying to find a deer that a sunshot, you know, he's like, did a doe run over here? I'm like, I saw him coming, saw him coming. And in my head, I'm like, God dang it. You're just going to keep coming. Aren't you? You have no idea. Uh, and then I was like, well, this would be a really good commercial for a camel company. Like, not only can the deer see me, no one else can either. But it ended up being a really pleasant conversation. And all that frustration, I was like, well, you know, seriously, what would Jesus do, right? That, that, that's not the right thing. You know, be nice and, and just be nice to everybody out there. We're all out there for the same reason. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, like you said, there's always going to be that 1% douchebag. But at the end of the day, if you can have a good conversation. Who knows? You might get a hunting buddy that if you work together, you can tackle a piece of public ground together and it'll be better for the both of you. And, you know, maybe you can share some of your spots with him and he'll share some of your spots with you. It's, you know, we, that's, that's really, it's hard because sometimes I want to be selfish. I want to keep things to myself. I want to get mad at someone if they, you know, ruin my hunt. But at the end of the day, man, the more people in this, you know, that take part in this, that you can have on your side, you're, you know, you're going to have better luck. They might, if you're nice, someone and treat them well, you never know what you could get in return. Absolutely, man. Well, tell me, tell me your most memorable hunt. Let's switch gears. This is one of my favorite parts of the show. I look forward to it. Uh, um, if you've been thinking about it, I'm excited to hear it and I'll let you just tell your story. Yeah. So, yeah, I have been thinking about that because I know that was coming. Um, I got, I'm having a real hard time picking between two. Do you mind if I share just two? The first one's really quick. No, dude, yeah, please. Two's fine. Okay. It's It's a tough question. Yeah, the first one is the story of uh, the first, like, decent buck I shot. Um, It was kind of a funny story. So, it was opening day of gun season. 
and I had I had my duck gun with slugs in it, and that thing was like I was like, all right, these deer are gonna have to come within a forty yards because I couldn't get a decent pattern on it outside of that. So I was just <laughs> dumb high schooler, you know, and I I woke up late. I got into my stand and I could almost see in the second I sat down these other I'm assuming young kids in this in this Jeep Cherokee I was hunting. So I'm in a tree line in front of me is about a it's forty yards of like an opening and then there's a pine plantation. To the right of me is our creek and to the left of me is a cornfield. And in that cornfield this Jeep Cherokee was out there mudding and it didn't have any muffler or nothing. I mean, that thing was so loud and they were just tearing it up. And I'm like, Oh, great. Like what kids are going to be out here at six in the morning doing this. And I thought my hunt was shot. So I'm watching this Jeep and I turn my head into this opening that's in front of me. That's got some kind of like long CRP type grass. And there's this little seven pointer that we had been passing all bow season, kind of a goofy looking little deer. Um, and I was like, Oh wow, that's cool. I can't believe I saw that. So then I turn around and watch the Jeep again um, and I turned my head back, and where that seven-pointer was standing, now there was a nice little um, ten-pointer. And Oof. Just like that. Yeah, That's I, crazy. I, yeah, he just appeared. It was, I mean, I was in the stand for five minutes because I got out there super late. Um, I slept in, and, yeah, it was just a bad deal. So I put my gun up, and I shot, and he bounded like five yards and stopped. So I missed him, and I shot again, and he dropped in his tracks, and I, I got him. So I'm down there, I'm looking at this deer, I'm like, I cannot believe this all came together. And all of a sudden I hear, boom, 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 five shots go off for my dad, who is sitting maybe, maybe 100 yards away, just across the creek. So I'm about as far away on our land as you can be from the cabin. And I, <laughs> going back to that list thing, I forgot my gutting knife. And <laughs> being the, being the, I don't know if it was stupid or considered. I was like, I don't want to make two trips back and forth across land because we have, you know, four or five other guys hunting. It's like, I'm just going to drag this deer back to the cabin. So I drug that deer basically 60 the way to the, yep, fully loaded. And my dad comes up to me and there's our cabin kind of sits <laughs> up on a hill. So I drug it out of this pine thicket and he sees me at the bottom of the hill. I see him standing on this porch on the porch and he's got his hands up in the air and he's cheering for me. He's just so happy. He comes down. And he congratulates me on this deer. It's not a monster by any means. It's probably a 120-inch 10-pointer, maybe. Um, and I said, was that you shooting? And he said, yeah, I got a decent one. And he really downplayed it. Like, he said, yeah, I got a good buck down. Like, we'll go get him later. So we walk up on his deer, and, of course, he killed, like, a 160-inch 11-pointer. Um, that dwarfed my deer and made mine look small, going back to the whole horseshoe thing. But that was the first one. Cause that was my first decent buck. Um, my dad forgot some of his medicine. So we actually drove back to Appleton with the deer on the tailgate, one head on either side. And we stopped at every bar on the way home, just you know, <laughs> being, being big shots and talking to everyone. It was such a fun day. And I remember I just got my license. So my, my dad, no, I just got my learner's permit. So I could drive with my dad in the truck and my dad had just bought a brand new truck. So I'm 16 years old driving this nice truck with two big bucks hanging out the back. And it was just, uh, one of the most fun days I've ever had. And that was that. So that's number one. And then, uh, number two is actually my hunt. Um, my, the buck I killed last year with a bow. And, um, it was one of the funnest hunts I've ever had. And also it just, it, 
I learned a valuable, valuable lesson from it. So um, I kind of played that strategy that I told you about. I hunted opening day, September 28th, and then a couple days in October um, on, you know, the right occasions. I saw a couple decent bucks, gave them a pass, and I was chasing this buck that I I kind of nicknamed Titan. He was a super heavy, tight frame 10-pointer, and he had a huge, like, five-inch flyer that went straight back off of one of his G2s. He was a super cool deer. And then there was this other buck that I called Mini T because he looked like the same frame as Titan, just much smaller, and he didn't have a flyer yet. Um, and I decided, you know what, this deer is not a shooter. So it was, I think, November 7th. Um, I was, I went out and I, like I said, I, I kind of, I banked three days and I said, I'm going to sit all day and that's going to be pretty much it for my archery season. So I sat all day and I didn't see a single deer until four o'clock And this buck, uh, mini teeth came chasing a doe, um, right under my stand and I gave him a pass. But for the next hour, I watched this buck put on a show. I watched him make a scrape. I watched him rub some trees. Um, I watched him, he grunted, he snort wheezed. He had all these super cool sounds. I've never seen anything like it. And then he walked up to another small pine tree and rubbed on it and snapped the tr- uh, branch off that got stuck in his antlers. And then he kind of oh. went down to the creek and got a drink with the tree, with the branch still stuck in his antlers and walked by me again at uh, 18 yards with that branch sticking in his rack. And I just, you know, I, I, kind of swore not to shoot that deer because I knew it'd be a real good one next year but it was just the most exciting hunt I'd ever had my heart was pumping and I drew back and I drilled this deer at 18 yards and um he's you know he's not at first he wasn't the biggest buck you know he wasn't exactly what I was going after but the memory of that hunt and the experience I had was so much fun and um I kind of learned a valuable lesson that you know the trophy isn't always in the size of the rack it's in the story and the experience you had. And this may sound hypocritical, like moving forward, I'm going to kind of try to target that next age bracket of deer, like a four-year-old, more mature buck. But you never know. I might take a couple steps back. If another buck that's that size comes in and makes my heart beat as hard as that buck did, um, I'm probably going to have to shoot it again because it, it I, I have no regrets about it. It was tons of fun. Um, he's, he's on my wall right now as a year amount with that same branch. He died with that branch still stuck in his antlers. Oh man. That's so cool. That's, yeah. So that, those was, are that both, was tons of fun. Those are both incredibly relatable stories, especially the first. I wonder, did the people in the, in the Jeep stop to look like, whoa, whoa, there's people shooting guns around here. <laughs> I don't. I don't even know if I looked back at that Jeep. Actually, I don't. I don't remember anything after that. I just remember seeing this Jeep, you know, tearing it up and being like, "Man, this is going to ruin my hunt." And five minutes later, I'm standing next to my first, you know, decent buck. So that's yeah, crazy, dude. And the fun. fact that you saw the seven pointer, and then the next time you look back, it was the ten pointer. Like that's wild, man. What a great story, both of them. Um, especially the second two. Like that's. I think if people hunt more for meat and more for the age of the deer and less of the the points, but don't get me wrong, like the, those racks, they they ignite something in us when we see them. We're like, oh my god, you know. And so yeah. it is, it is what it is, you know. And and but hunting for the experience, I hunt for adventure. That's what I say. I love the you know uncharted, untold adventures, and, and I think those are more indelible than you know just the you know blah 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 doing whatever. That's why I like hunting different properties. It it it, it excites me. Um, 
I always think seeing a deer is a bonus, seeing a buck is a bigger bonus. And then, you know, obviously getting something is the ultimate bonus, but everything else is, they're all bonus. They're all in addition to just the being out there for me is, is enough to do it. But, uh, those are both great stories. I'd love to see the picture too of the, um, of the one with the antler or the, uh, the stick and its antlers. Yeah. And that, that, uh, whole video is, I got the whole thing on film back to that. It's all up on YouTube. So, um, unfortunately the first story I told about the gun, you know, the gun buck with my dad, I, that was before I started recording my hunts, but, um, you see that deer, I, he was through some brush. So I didn't get the greatest video of him actually rubbing the tree, but you can see a tree shaking and then you can see him walk into the creek with that branch and his antlers. And then he walks by 18 yards and I, I, uh, you know, I just, I smoked him, man. It was a perfect shot. And that was the other cool thing is I've had, I struggle bad with buck fever when I have a bow in my hand, man. I don't know what it is, but I've had some, I've missed a couple of deer. I unfortunately wounded a deer that just really tore me up, but this is the first. And then a buck, the buck I killed with a bow uh, in 2016, I killed him, but I, I took a kind of a iffy shot, you know, hindsight being 2020, he was at 54 yards and he had enough time to turn and he actually took the arrow to his neck. So this, this oh, buck was, yeah, so he, I mean, fortunately, he expired quickly, and that was a huge lesson learned for me that, you know, I was really, dove really deep into archery, and um, I I was confident shooting at 50, 60 yards, but a, a living, breathing animal is a whole lot different than a target, and he had enough time to react, so I won't be doing that anymore, but this buck I killed last year was the first one that everything came together. It was a close shot, made a perfect shot. It was a clean kill. He died in seconds. I heard him die, and um, when I walked up on him, yeah, that branch was still sucking his antlers. <laughs> That's super cool, man. I like it. Thanks for sharing those with us. Yeah. Well, how do people find the YouTube channel? How do they follow you on social? Where do they go to kind of join in on the adventure that you're creating and the stories that you're telling? Yeah, so everything is uh, Growing Wild TV. Instagram is Growing underscore Wild TV. YouTube, if you just search Growing Wild TV, same thing on Facebook. Um I do as much as I can. I've really been uh, liking this whole um, kind of sharing some of my old stories. It's a little bit different of a format because it's just not like a like a straight video. When I do these more current, like what I'm doing this year, it'll be more of a straight video. But when I'm doing, you know, recalling on these older memories and stories that have already happened, it's like I'm kind of telling a story and um, I kind of just overlay some of the footage and that's been a ton of fun. But um, yeah, I just, I get a, huge kick out of sharing my stories and anyone that takes time to watch or listen i i certainly appreciate it heck yeah man and same i feel the same way so um for anybody listening definitely want to to go subscribe to i think you're doing the right things for the right reasons and it's going to be exciting to follow along so uh, thanks again man for taking time out of your busy schedule being a dad and working hard and doing everything you're doing to just hang out on the where to hunt podcast um i appreciate every guest and your stories were great and thank you so much we got some great nuggets out of this one, I think. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Heck yeah, anytime. Tip of the week. If you made it this far, you're a diehard Where to Hunt podcast listener and subscriber, and I appreciate And You've probably already left me a review or two, so thank you for making it this far. It means a ton to me. By the way, the reviews and positive feedback that have been coming through iTunes, Instagram, and Facebook, 
You guys mean a lot to me, believe it or not. I love doing this stuff, and I'm really grateful and humbled that everyone tunes in. I'm sorry my tips of the week suck so much, and this one might be recycled, but my tip of the week is make a point. Make a real point. If you're hunting public land, if that's what you're doing, my goal this year is to start to understand and actually hunt out of state um, and research that and get those ducks in a row so I can make that happen. (laughs) It's going to be hard because I have a, a child on the way in October, so... We'll see how that goes for me, but it's something that I'm going to start to dig into. What I'll um, implore or challenge you all to do as a tip of the week is to find, define, and line up at least an additional two properties that you might go and hunt um, to give yourself more arsenal um, from a tactical strategy as to how you're going to actually deploy your season. And by having some of those options, like we just discussed on today's show, having more options sets you up for more success and learning more different properties is something you can build and layer upon. So you have more choices to go hunt. So if something is too crowded, some other place or the wind isn't right, or you don't know that property in the morning because you haven't been there and you're not going to navigate it in the dark, whatever that looks like, right? I think adding at least two more properties to your arsenal and your plan of attack um, could be really a, a good deal thing. And right. Maybe two is too low. Maybe you want to do five or seven or 10. I don't know. Certainly Anthony Heller has dominated this category. And, uh, if you haven't heard of him or looked into his stuff at Deervane, I highly recommend checking him out too. He's a great cat to learn from. I've had him on the show. I follow his content. I've learned some things from him. So in any event, that's my tip of the week. I will do the same. You bet your bottom dollar that that's what I'll do. Additionally, I'm also part of the Huntland podcast. That's that's H-N-T-L-N-D. And Jeff Genke over there does a great job uh, interpreting digital maps for digital scouting. So he'll hate me for this because I'm going to bury him in more work. But if you lob a question over to the Huntland crew, uh, Jeff can help you identify where buck beds might be or where you ought to go look to consider that. So if you're looking at a new property and you're not sure how to break it down and where deer are flowing and funneling to and maybe bedding down and things of that nature, especially buck beds, obviously, um, give that a shot and see if that can help you out too. I'm leaning on him for the same, uh, the difference is I've been in. So he'll, he'll help you all out too. Um, so when he listens to this, he's probably going to shit himself <laughs> and it'd be really great if he gets like another 10 emails or 10 Facebook messages through the Huntland page. That'd be great. In any event, uh, guys and gals, folks of all, of all, uh, ages and, and kinds and types and, and whatever, everyone that loves hunting. I appreciate y'all listening. I appreciate the reviews. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you have a great day, a great week and, uh, I'm public.